Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Essentially, Millie nonchalantly told the GP that sometimes she just wanted to die. And that's where my heart literally froze. And I remember just mouthing in the background to the GP going, what the hell? This week on Grief Encounters, I am joined by Fiona Toomey. We were honoured for her to come in and spend her time here to tell us about her daughter, Millie, who died at just age 11. Millie died by suicide. And her mother, Fiona, is here to tell us all about her beautiful daughter. Um, to say that she describes her in a in a way that brought just... I just could see her standing there right in front of us. Um, she tells us all about who Millie was and about how she lost her and about how we can do better as a society to help people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts and how we can help people who are left behind. This week's guest is Fiona Toomey, founder and director of HUG, that's H-U-G-G, which is an incredible charity that provides suicide bereavement support groups and online resources. In January 2016, Fiona's beautiful daughter Millie died by suicide at the age of 11. It was just six weeks away from her 12th birthday. In the four years since, Fiona has done incredible work campaigning for vital youth and adult mental health services to be implemented. Thank you so much for coming in, Fiona. The first thing I wanted to say to you is, from following everything that you've done online, you do an amazing job of keeping Millie, her spirit and who she was here. I feel like I recognize her. I know her photo. I know her face. Um, and that is such a beautiful thing for a mother to do. I just want to say how sorry I am that you lost her to start Thank off you. this conversation. Um, there's no other way to start this conversation. Can we start off by you telling us a little bit about who she was? You know no matter how many times you're asked that question, I still I haven't managed to coherently put together those kind of pockets yeah. of descriptions that will capture her. But I think I can't describe Millie without describing her sister in the same sentence because to me they were like one name didn't go without the other. Mm. It was Daisy and Millie, Millie and Daisy. And they were known as the Irish twins, you know, because it was only 15 months between them. But... On top of that, we used to say we were introduced as Millie and Daisy's parents. <laughs> yeah. And that's the way it was throughout yeah. their entire lives because they had that effect on people. Mm. They were like um, the sort of Lord Mayors, you know, anywhere we lived somewhere because they would be pipe pipers of children and bring kids along and yeah. chatty and hilarious. Like Millie was funny. She was very funny and she was a great mimic. Mm. And she had lots of 
of talent and I suppose nobody really understands how much talent they have till somebody tells them, you know. Certainly in Irish culture, it's pressed down. But, you know, we weren't shy about telling Mitty what she was good mm. at. But we didn't overdo it either. But she was just very funny and uh, literally stuffed with life. <laughs> she felt she felt very deeply about things, you mm. know. Um, I think that her barometer for empathy was, was really quite strong. It swung. She could feel... I think great sorrow her first time ever seeing somebody homeless and she cried mm. and she came home and said to me can I give all my pocket money what can I do that poor man's you know out on the mm. street and it deeply affected her so you think about those little things and kind of go okay in hindsight you you go back over these things of and you course, unpick and yeah. you unpick and you unpick and I kind of go yeah she she really felt deeply. Did you recognize that from when she was very young? Because I think you do start to see threads of how mm. children react to things from when they're very small. Mm. Was that something that you saw that she could pick up on emotions or pick up on situations? She was always drawn to younger children, which when you're a child, it's not often the case. You want to be with the older yeah. girls, you know, in her case, the older girls. But she loved babies, okay. loved oh. babies. We lived in Switzerland a few years and herself and her sister had independently applied for the job as babysitters they were I think seven and nine at the time um, to a neighbour's child you know um, (laughs) they didn't get the gig but uh, they were involved in that little boy's life all the way through you know for the few years that we were there because they just adored babies yeah. and playing with them so she 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 loved that and, and helping little kids caring and, and caring yeah. she'd agree with caring side yeah. yeah she was a devil as well <laughs> i mean she was an absolute devil she'd you'd be exasperated mm. i mean you couldn't leave a shop without the can i just can, may I, yeah. Yeah. those ones What are those memories like? Because we've talked a lot about on the podcast when you look back at someone as they were, Mm. truly as they were. Mm. um, Sometimes those can become even more precious. So the things, Mm. the ways that they got you, the ways that they were trialing you and things like that are actually can even be more precious than the happy memories. Oh, yeah. Like a supermarket shop was never quick. (laughs) You know, I tried not to bring particularly Millie, you know, to the supermarket Mm. because every aisle had something which was a glittering gem to her. Stop looking at everything. The latest cereal, the most exotic (laughs) looking dessert something truly horrific so uh, you look back and like you say you look back on all those things and you laugh Uh, you you do you laugh at and you you cry too because uh, you you see the favourite cereal or the you know the favourite and there were flamkuchens which were like kind of posh pizzas you know (laughs) and uh, Millie loved all those she liked she didn't like sweet things. She liked savory things. Mm. She liked jellies as well. But, but for she, a she kid, yeah, interesting, yeah. And, and then had a had a vile obsession with ketchup, you know, <laughs> which went on for some considerable time. Putting on everything. Eventually, yeah. Oh, I, and I mean everything. You know, it was eventually weaned <laughs> off it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's such a funny one. Yeah. What is it? Is she? You know. Is she everywhere? Like in terms of when you were talking about going, that I think a lot of people who grieve face the everyday walking through a, a grocery aisle mm. picking up their phone um, looking at a movie turning the television any of those things they're, the people that you've lost are everywhere I imagine she's everywhere and for, especially in those first few years that could be very difficult she's not actually okay uh, she's not because we moved abroad when she was uh, five so there's a large part of her that lives abroad okay and which I wish lived here. Oh, yeah. Because 
her little friends that she went to school with and went ice skating with and played tennis with and all those things aren't here. And I don't see them. Yeah. And they don't see me. So there's a large part of her that isn't here Mm. and that I'm not reminded of. And I miss that. Of course. Because there aren't many people to share her memory with, Mm. you know, to share those moments with. Do you remember when it's her sister? And immediate family, but not everybody in the immediate yeah. family because they saw away, us high yeah. days and holidays, you know. So yeah. that's a large part that's missing. Do you go back? Uh, I only went back. Uh, I went back twice. I went back for her memorial mm. and I went back once after that. And I haven't been able to go back since because she is everywhere there. Yeah. So no, I can't. Yeah, I yeah. can't. Which is completely understandable. Yeah. It can be so overwhelming to put yourself back and face all of that again um, can you talk to me about when things started to change and as a mom how that was when you were noticing maybe that mm. she wasn't doing as well or that you know was there mm. anything that she was kind of showing to you yeah I, I think I have to sort of try and describe it as it was then and not as how I see it now because I think it's easy to sort of look back and say well actually this was happening because when you're in the moment you're in the moment and everything happened very very quickly Um, we had moved back to Ireland in the summer of 2015 and uh, high excitement the girls were very excited Uh, Daisy was going to start secondary school so Millie was going into sixth class Um, so it was all excitement. We'd had a family holiday together with their cousins and it was all good. And moving back into our old house and yeah. we had rented out, moved back into our old house. So it was getting everything ready and everything was great. There wasn't a problem. Millie uh, would never have a problem fitting in anywhere. Like she was like a Pied Piper. She gathered people and uh, she immediately was able to fit in and get new pals and was all happening. Um, but after Halloween, things changed it was literally from Halloween and it was strange little things very small little things that seemed odd but couldn't quite put them together like they had dressed up for Halloween and she kept a little bloody bandage on after Halloween and I want to wear this under my school jumper you know under yeah. my, on my arm I work on like Okay, little dramatic, but Millie was a bit dramatic. You know, said, well, as long as people don't think you've injured yourself, <laughs> yeah. but fine, whatevs, let her wear it. Um, they hadn't got phones. She had a little iPad mini mm. that she had got from Santa Claus and um, they were using uh, Snapchat and she had put up on the app, um, I've chosen the day that I want to die. I knew nothing about this. Her sister told me and... Yeah. Like part of you is what like that's just so completely out there, out of nowhere. And then part of you is like, okay, is this maybe looking for attention? It, what is this? Exploration you know, of the what's yeah, this? You know, we yeah. are talking about an eleven year old, you know? Um so literally within sort of twenty four hours we had spoken to the school. The school were trying to contact us at the same time and they had said that she had spoken to her a few in her class about it and one of the one of the pals had said it to a teacher so literally we just pressed the red button it was kind of like what is this about you know um, spoke to Millie Millie kind of shrugged it off it was a bit nonchalant about it there were no tears there was no drama 
Um, and the post, we took, told her to take the post down uh, and we said, okay, we're going to go to see the GP. So that was kind of protocol. It's mm. protocol with the school and whatever else. We said, great, we'll bring her because your head goes a mixture between this is just a bit of nonsense yeah. with the good God. What's what? happening? Yeah, Could there be something happening here? And essentially, Millie nonchalantly told the GP that sometimes she just wanted to die. And that's where my heart literally froze. Because I think most people when they're kids, when you are in with a figure of authority, you don't turn it on. You know, you, you don't you don't play down, pretend yeah. you dial it down. You don't dial it up. So uh, to me, this was I was literally shocked to my very core. And I remember just mouthing in the background to the GP going, what the hell? You know, can we give her tablets? What well, I was just yeah, whatever, screaming yeah. in my head. What is this about? Because she said it so coldly and calmly. Um, so he basically told us the list to go and see psychotherapies was as long as, you know, night and day and then some. So to go privately, we said, absolutely, where can we go? So we were given a name and uh, a phone number and we phoned them. That person was no longer taking clients. They recommended somebody else in their practice and that he saw that person for six weeks. But during those, or five weeks, during those five weeks, Millie went from me discovering that she had scratched herself, not cut herself, but scratched herself, scratched her legs. And I was kind of like, what's that about Millie? And again kind of shrugged it off mm. and we had a good you know everybody thinks they had a good relationship with their kids but I genuinely thought we had quite a, a open relationship yeah. a very very close because there's only the four of us so we're very close and very close to the girls spent an awful lot of time with them um, and again didn't really commit so you have that whole conversation did somebody hurt you did something yeah. happen is somebody bullying and there was nothing from the school you know I knew in my heart of hearts there wasn't a bullying issue she was never particularly out of my sight anywhere. So you go through the awful places in of your course, mind of yeah, could it be something awful that happened else, that you missed? Yeah. Um, and I couldn't pinpoint anything. Um, I found a note under her bed, a, a, a notebook, and in it she had said how she had tried to kill herself and she had failed and that she had um, tried she had thought about a couple of different ways and dismissed them um, and that she was disappointed she hadn't succeeded so I I remember texting the therapist in the middle of the night going I have found this what do I do so we went in to see the therapist again and had the conversation about life and death and the meaning of it mm. and understanding of it and um, I had discovered Millie had taken some of my tablets some medication that I had I had found an empty foil under the bed so this was all within space of a few days um, but um, overwhelming and terrified I think is the only words you can put on it because oh, there wasn't my yeah. husband was abroad uh, he was working and I'm telling him and we're like okay we told the therapist we've had the conversation I've spoken to her I've told her everything about you know, life and death and love and how we get through things and we get help and the connections there. And she's playing lip sync. You know, she's she's playing lip service to me. She's going to say, no, yeah, no, that's OK. And all that. Yeah. But then she said, but you've got another daughter. 
and I'm like what does that you mean? know no you are unique you are there's only one you're part you, of, of me and there's only yeah. one you um so I was just completely terrified the the therapist recommended calms we went through the 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 whole applying for calms and waiting for calms and was given an appointment for the end of December and or the end of January and this is you know the beginning of December so it was like this is not going to this is not going to work um and eventually then they brought us they said they gave us a date on the 5th of January but during that time we're coming up to Christmas and Millie seems fine. I, I, I think that you're looking out and I remember her GP phoned me once and said, how is she? And I said, I couldn't tell you how she is. She seems fine. But what do I know? I, know, yeah. I said, I'm only going on the outside. Yeah. You know, I'm talking, I'm engaging, you know, you're yeah, asking exactly. questions, you're, you, you know, you're watching, you know, you're going for what you can see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it all seems fine. But when we filled in the, they fill in these these forms for calms, you know, and the mum and the dad and the, and the, the child fill them in. And it's kind of like to give them an indication, uh, like a, a test to see where they're at emotionally. And Millie had written down quite clearly that sometimes she had thought she wanted to die. And a couple of other absolute, what I have found out called red flag issues, where a child should be seen within 48 hours. I remember driving down with the applications and handing them in, going, well, they've got all the information now. You know, we're seeing them. I'm sure they'll be in touch if there's anything. Way, yeah. You know, we're 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 in mm. the we're in the in the hands of the professionals. Um, and we took a break together. Uh, you know, us with the dog. We always try and find somewhere with the dog. And we had a lovely break for a couple of days. And Millie was a little bit irritable at times. But I was kind of saying, well, sometimes Millie is a bit irritable. So again, it wasn't anything. And the, her age too was an yeah, age for that age. kind of it's stuff. Kind, kind of, of you comes know, in, on the yeah. cusp of you know puberty and all of yeah. that. And you're like. Yeah, there's nothing untoward mm. here. You're mindful all the time, but you're keeping a watchful eye. Mm. But there really wasn't anything that people sort of think, I call it smiling depression. You know, depression isn't sitting, st- you yeah. know, staying in bed crying. And yes, sometimes that is. But what I know now, I did not know then. I did not know the many, many subtle signs of somebody in suicide ideation. Mm. You know, I had raised issues, you know, as far as I was concerned, they were being dealt with. So we're going to be, this is going to be okay. We're going to get through whatever this is. You're doing so much. This is okay. Yeah. Um, But we weren't given any, we weren't given any, like I said, anything to watch for. We weren't given a safety plan. How do we keep her safe? We weren't told this is what you do or you don't do. All we were told was, you know, if you're concerned, bring her to A&E. Well, what does I am concerned? I'm concerned 24 7. All the time. What does that mean? Can't be does that mean I just bring her every yeah. day? What does that mean? Mm. Um, so that was uh, terrifying. So you're in a sense of terror all the time and you're you're oscillating between, okay, this is going to be okay and mm, God. Yeah, should I even go to sleep know, at night? What, you know, yeah, what, exactly. What do I do? Yeah. So, it, you know, you fast forward and Christmas and all went fine and Christmas and New Year and Millie played a concert for us on New Year she was brilliant on the piano she had she had great musical talent she's composed her own songs and uh, she played us she did a concert for us we all got written uh, programmes oh. with our names on it you know, there was Sir Tim and Lady Fiona and uh, she put on her best dress and she performed for us and there were chairs laid out wow. and there had to be hush so and, much you know, thoughtfulness oh and there was a programme of music put together Um. But in hindsight, I think part of this was Millie saying goodbye. 
that must be very uh, difficult to think about the messages maybe she was trying to send or the things she was thinking about what was going on in her head in those in those days yeah Yeah. Uh, I mean you only have hindsight Mm. and it doesn't serve you well because you can't do anything about it no um yeah, so, I mean, we were at home when she took her own life. So people kind of go, don't leave somebody alone. As difficult and uh, genuinely the most difficult conversation to have. But by talking about how it actually was in those days, which is how you started off talking about this, is how you help people. Because, you know, if you look through it through a lens of looking back, it's a skewed version of it. Whereas you're talking about it as it was, which is so important to somebody that's going through that because it is day by day, so changeable, services that aren't available, all of those things compiled together, create um, what really happened. Um. But I have to imagine as a parent, you know, how do you deal with looking back and saying if this part had changed or if this part was different, if this if we had done this part or this, you know. Oh, that- that's the hardest part, because um, I mean, to me, I always think back to my Angela saying, when we know better, we do better. <laughs> and that to me is is part of what I try to do with Hug. Uh, and what I try to do every day is I don't hold on to bitterness. I've never been bitter uh, and I have rarely been angry. But fighting uh, guilt is is a is an ongoing battle. And I think it's a battle for everybody who's lost somebody to suicide because suicide is not something that can be put in a box with a clear label on it. There are so many paths to suicide. Um, it's very complicated and there are many facets that uh, can go into why somebody may take their own life. Now, I think when you're dealing with a child, it is a little different. It is unusual, thank- mm-hmm. thankfully, but it still happens. Um, and it happens in this country and it happens more often than people are probably aware mm-hmm. of. And um, to me... Knowing now in hindsight some of the obvious signs of somebody in suicide ideation is very important Mm. because I did not know them there and nobody told me. I think it's a bit like when you have uh, a physical illness. There's a leaflet and there's information, you know, if you notice a swelling or a rash or a temper, you know, these it's easy to follow those. And you're going to go, okay, right, I'm on this. I know. And you've got a watchful eye, you know. If the most information you're given is if you're worried, go to A&E. Yeah. I don't think that's good enough. No. Uh, and I think that um, it behoves everybody in society to say this isn't good enough. And um, I've heard many people talk, you know, who, who have lost somebody to suicide. And I spent a long time afterwards listening to them and listening to the messages, reading about it, reading papers. I did it from day one. I became obsessive about it. I read, I think, I've, I would say practically thousands of papers on it because I really wanted to understand it yeah. rather than just come out and react. Mm. I really wanted to understand what was this about and and not just uh, just become stuck and be seen as, 
oh that grieving mother mm. sideways head grieving mother oh my god that's terrible mm. you know yes it is lovely I, I, I want I, you know, sympathy is one thing uh, empathy is quite another mm. thing but understanding to me was more important than anything else and to try as a lay person as a non-professional mm. as a non-psychologist psychiatrist psychoanalyst to say well what goes into this so I understand it's complex and and that's okay there are you know they maybe zero suicide you know may not happen ever I don't know but there should be zero tolerance mm. and the zero tolerance comes in with people demanding better services and more joined up thinking mm. and that is slow 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 to come and I think it's a large part of people think it can't happen to them and I certainly was one of them who thinks that somebody in their family is going to die by suicide. I mean, unfortunately, we know because there is more talk about it, we know more people know more people who've died by suicide. Like the stigma of talking about it has definitely decreased, which is good. Mm. However, I think that people actually demanding that something's done in the mental health area is incredibly slow. Um, Irish people are not good protesters in general. We're not not very good at Mm. that. And then if you ask people who are crushed or broken hearted to be the voice. It's very hard to. It's not a very mm. strong voice. It's not mm. a good starting place. So if you ask people who haven't been affected to be the voice, they, there is a little bit of a, well, we're OK here. Yeah. It's mentally ill people that happens to. I say, well, it might be some people who are mentally ill. And that, again, is a coverall phrase for everything. Um, but it's not always, mm. you know. It's not always. I mean, there are impulsive suicides. Mm. There are people driven there through drug addiction, through coming off medication, through, I mean, the list goes on. Sure, yeah. um, Hopelessness and, yeah. And millions of reasons. Mm. But there are certainly things that are isms and that include signs. Yeah. And there can certainly be pathways to help yeah. and resources put in that can make a massive difference. So for you and for all this Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Incredible, incredible work you've done in her name, which truly is really unbelievable to me that you were able to, to ha- that somewhere in you that that's there, that you had the ability to do that for her. Um, 
and to to understand it because I think that as, as a parent I think is a really beautiful thing that you had to understand I have to understand how this you know, what was going on with her how do you get to this point or where do you you know the path to it what's the you know you're saying it's a slow process and although the media and, and in terms of social media it seems it feels like suicide is very much front and centre especially mm. right now but it's not front and centre in a real way. What would be the first steps? Like, what are the things that you really feel you'd love to see now, today, if we could just make it happen, that would make a dramatic impact, do you think, on us as a society to help prevent or help educate? I think it's a complicated question because there's so many moving parts to it. I mean, uh, I went back to college to study uh loss and bereavement mm. because I wanted to understand it a bit deeper yeah. uh, and I also wanted to have a more legitimate voice in what I was talking yeah. about as I say I wanted to move from sideways head to maybe a straighter head mm. conversation um, and uh, I've met some fantastic people who work in the area of suicide prevention and mental health like really fantastic people so we can't say there's nothing been done because that wouldn't be fair or yeah. true um, I think that we have some fantastic documents you know, we are fantastic at laying out documents, mm. vision for change, connecting for life. Brilliant. But unfortunately, um, mental health is not ring fenced mm. uh, financially. It's the poor relation of physical health, whereas you can't have one without the other. Yeah. They coexist. The brain isn't separate from the body. So uh, the two go together. So if I was waving a magic wand, I would ring fence the resources yeah. for mental health. I mean, that would be a starting point. Mm. Um, I would take it out of the political arena insofar as possible because it's going to change with every minister. It's of going course, to change yeah. according to what people demand. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know that six percent spent on mental health services in this country it should be a minimum of 10. I mean, that's kind of huge. Mm. And then you look at um, people trying to access services. Nothing has changed yeah. in the four years since Millie's passed. Uh, you know, literally nothing has changed. And I get phone calls uh, and contacts from parents so many times saying they have a child in trouble and what can I do? I'm gonna, I can't do anything. I can point them in the right direction. Yeah. You know, I would now tell people to press the red button, you know, and not take no yeah. for an answer and, and not to be passive because that's something I struggle with. I think as a parent, as you know, your number one job, protect your child. Mm. So when everything that could have been done uh, was done is one thing when you don't feel everything could have been done yeah. it's quite another thing and I try not to stay in that area so I kind of go okay I can't change what's happened but if I can do something to change what is happening yeah. or what will happen that's a starting mm. point so to me the area where there was nothing happening was in the grief side of it um, and uh, Hug was born out of my need I did not want to set up a charity. Mm. I had no intention of setting up a charity. I was charity adverse. <laughs> I was going, oh, good dear Lord, another charity. Because people said, oh, you're going to set up. No, absolutely not. No, no, thank you. But when I went looking for help, um, it wasn't there. It was a series of letdowns. Mm. And that was frightening. Mm. Very, very, very frightening. Because again, you think, right, somebody's going to, you know, the... The troops are going to arrive to help us of now. Of course, yeah. And friends and family are great, but they're traumatised too. Yeah. And then they have to get on with their own lives. 
and there really was nothing. Mm. And I wanted to speak to human beings. Mm. I know you've spoken to people on this podcast about hope. I needed hope. Mm. I needed to know you can survive this. That was number one priority because people say, I don't know how you do it. You're so strong. Mm. And that to me was like a slap across the mm. face. And it wasn't meant, you know, there was no oh, malice in that yeah. sentence. But to me, I took it as a as a as a slur because <laughs> I was like, you don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I I can't I can't lie in bed, you know, for the day. Daisy's got to go to school. Shopping has to be done. Dog has to be mm. walked. Life has to go on. Mm. And you have to find there tools to help yeah. you do that. Yeah. And I didn't find many tools. I didn't want to speak one on one to somebody because what were they going to tell me that I didn't already know at that stage? Yeah, of course. I wanted to speak to people who had lived yeah. with it yeah. and were further down the road. And I eventually found a lady who I say kept me alive in the Midlands who uh, was running a group. And I said, great, you know, we need Coming this down. in Dublin. I can't keep going up and down to the Midlands trying to find a, a service. Yeah. Um, and there was none. If you can expand a little bit, just because oftentimes on this podcast there it's something we haven't we've touched on we haven't gone that there is a person mm. there's someone mm. who has had either a shared experience oftentimes mm. that is the case just one person one story one piece of something in it like a piece of writing or something and you reach mm. out to that person or online mm. and somehow they're the voice in your head or they're the person that you you think they somehow get you through mm. um, even through something small it could be one thing that they say but something stays with you what was it about her that just gave you something that well, with this particular lady, um, she had lost her son 15 years uh, previously. So she was alive yeah. and she was a functioning human being. Yeah. So that in and of itself was, was you yeah. know, the first beacon of light. But more importantly than that, um, she was able to reflect back to me my awfulizations, as I call them, all the catastrophic thinking that I was going through the, if I'd done this, if I had done that. And she would, she'd phone me every now and again and I didn't want to speak to anybody. Mm. I wanted to get into bed and eat cake. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was my go to go to bed and eat cake um, and read mm. lots and lots of papers. But she would phone me and I'd pick up the phone and she'd just say, how are you? You know, you know, how you doing? How you doing today? Yeah. And she just she, it could be a very short conversation, but she would if you know, inevitably I'd come out and say if I had done this, if I had done that. And she'd put sense on it mm. um, that, you know, we can't be omnipresent. You know what I mean? You know, yes, I could have followed Millie upstairs. Yes, I could have, you know, there are a lot of things. And there are people, you know, who listen to this, who've lost loved ones to suicide, who will go, if I did this, and if I did that. I now know a lot of things are out of our control. Yeah. Some things aren't, but a lot of things are out of our control. Sometimes with the best will in the world, a mm. suicide death will occur. Um, and that's all I needed at that moment. It wasn't going into what I know now about pathways to help and various other things, which I was very much let down on um, and which should have happened and which might have saved Millie's life. I'll never know. Mm. And it's the never knowing that's so hard. that you have to live with. And that's a difficult thing to park. But having a lifeline, and that lady was a lifeline to yeah. me, uh, who was a lifeline, and... Uh, I think you, you, you do need, you need a lifeline. You need people. My sister's great. She calls them drains and radiators. <laughs> you know, I needed a few radiators. Yeah. Um, 
And I think everybody is quick to want to fix it. Yeah. Everybody wants to fix everybody else's pain. And that's the human condition. And that comes from a good place. But you can't fix grief. Nobody can. There's no magic elixir. Mm. But I think one of the phrases that I liked um, was sit with me on the morning bench. And I thought that really struck me because a friend of mine called in in the early days and I was just sobbing. You know, I was I I, I could bear it. I was just sobbing and she just sat there. I don't think she said anything particularly. She just sat there and then after a while she left. And that stuck with me because there are no words. There isn't anything she can say or do that's going to make me feel better. But she sat with me on the morning bench. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's a very powerful thing to do. And I think it's, um, and correct me if, I, if this wasn't your experience, but it's the unafraid. So it's the not being afraid to just sit and wait it out and not and, and not ha- feel like you have to act or fix mm. the sitting in and the not being afraid. I think a lot of times people are afraid of grieving people and um in circumstances where it is so difficult to understand, people shy, they could run away out of fear. Mm. Um, which, as you said, you can't blame them for either. You can't no. blame people for trying to fix. No. But it's, it's um, we were talking about this on an episode yesterday. There are these beacons of light, these people mm. who sometimes haven't experienced loss. Those yep. people, those people, are, I can't, you can't even imagine how they, where it is within them that the yeah. empathy comes from. Where they know to just sit and yeah. stay. They're magic people. They're magic you know? people. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, I think solace sometimes comes from the most unusual places. Yeah. The people who you think might step up don't. Yeah. And then the people who you think won't step up are just, are just magical. Yeah. I mean, my group of friends, uh, I am exceptionally lucky. I know people say I'm very lucky with my family and friends, but particularly with my friends. I mean, you know, a lot of black humour was there yeah. in the early days because it's so bleak. That would be my kind of go to. I would have, you know, quite a um, a black sense of humour. And, you know, I kind of said we are the circle of death because there was so much loss in our own group, which was quite unusual. Mm. One of my good friends, and I know you had her husband here, uh, Benji, for an interview, yeah lost their son Adam. So there's somebody who'd lost a child and she, Benji and, and Jackie were a, a beacon for me. Yeah. Um, another friend had lost her, her husband. You know, he had just uh, died and she was left with two very small children. Mm-hmm. Another friend, there was a murder in her family. So highly unusual yeah, that you group of friends. Another, yeah. And we've been friends since childhood. Wow. And our friendship was bonded through the loss of one of our, uh, one of our best pals who died in a car crash when mm-hmm. she was 17. And that, I think, was one of the things that I think bound our friendship. Uh, you know, as you get older and you reflect back on these things, you kind of go, wow, there is great power in loss and death and empathy and what can rise from the ashes. And I think the power in our friendship really bore that out, mm. that even though everybody's experience was completely unique and very different circumstances, uh, I think the the empathy and the and the love and the support was all radiator. And uh, even though each did things in their own little way, uh, they held me upright for the first year, dragging me out to walk my dog when I would have quite happily just stayed inside. And that helped. And the power of empathy. I don't think I explored empathy truly until after I'd lost 
both my parents. I think when I lost my dad initially, I was aware of it in a much different way, but I don't think I really explored what true empathy means myself until after my mother died. And it came with the loss of both of them. It's a strange thing how Mm. loss suddenly teaches you everything about love and teaches Mm. you everything about true compassion. Mm -hmm. It seems that every single guest on this podcast, the grief varies in every different way. Mm -hmm. The anger, the bitter, all of that has been different for everyone. But the Mm -hmm. empathy has been the one thing that has been completely consistent across the board is suddenly that word is front and center in those people's lives, mm. so whether it's suicide or um, a, a loss of multiple children, all these different things, it just rises mm. straight to the top. Yeah. Why I do think you th- it's it's the understanding of uh, the universal experience, you know, of suffering. Yeah. I think that suffering to me, I didn't know why I was doing it at the time, but at the time I looked at every horrific documentary that there was on Netflix. Uh, And people were like, what are you watching that for? Things where children had been murdered and awful, awful things. And I watched them because I wanted to see that somebody had survived it. I didn't consciously know that's exactly what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. I was seeking out the whole time. Okay, bad things happen and you can survive it. Mm. And I needed to find anchors. And that's Netflix... And horror documentaries was one of my anchors. It had yeah. to be a documentary. It couldn't be something fictional. It had to be real. Mm. Uh, and I sought them out and I read and I read and I and I cast my net very, very wide to try and, and, and find those things. It wasn't just somebody had written a story. It, it had to be the worst kind of mm. suffering, you know, from whether it was, you know, people in, you know, in droughts, in uh, natural catastrophes, any type of loss yeah. that was out of the ordinary, unnatural, because there's nothing more unnatural than burying your own child. There's nothing more unnatural than suicide. Mm. So I had the combination of the two. If you want people to recoil from you initially, you say you lost a child. And then if you throw in it was by suicide and you add in their age, they're practically out the door before you finish your sentence. And I can understand that Mm. because it's like, I don't want to be touched by your mm. horror show more so than it's a fear and it's hard to step up to that it really is and I don't know how I, I have I haven't even the first idea how you could help anyone be prepared to step into those situations other than I know for myself when Jane McKenna who founded Laura Lynn came in here my heart was um, my heart was really racing before she came in I was scared to meet her because I wanted to be sure um, I, I can't even really I can't, every time I talk about this interview I can't keep, keep it together I wanted her to feel safe first mm-hmm. of all and you would never want anyone to feel like you were afraid of their story mm-hmm. because that you would never want to isolate someone because they're already isolated enough in their story the story is hard enough to find mm. other people out there I think though what the hard thing to do what what Benji has done and what you you know is if you do it publicly that light is a little easier to find that story is easy mm. so if someone googles my child died to suicide mm. at this age and mm. maybe your name comes up or hug comes up mm. that makes that journey maybe a little than it used to be i imagine there was a time where the isolation must have been 
unbearable because mm. finding someone else mm. anyone else or Netflix even mm. even the idea that you could have yeah. a, a, a database of things to look through to kind of say maybe this person got through it or mm. um, you know do you think in that way like that the, I know there's a lot of negatives to what social media has done for us but in terms of being able to find resources or things quicker or people oh. with their stories I think that you know social media I think it'll be another 20 years before we can fully understand um you know the power for good or for ill of social media i mean it's it's painted you know as the body a little too readily and there's research going on all the time into mm. this i mean the good thing about social media is, is the connectivity it connects us all it makes us feel connected i mean i've had i have virtual friends in all sorts of parts of the world um yeah. and that's wonderful because I don't ever have to meet them. You know, I, we 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 chat, help each other, you know, and, connect and, and yeah. it can be a sentence, it can be a little heart, it could yeah. be anything. I had a cousin who used to text me a heart every night for a whole year before I went to sleep. People say, "What makes a difference?" That made that a makes difference it. to me. It's not about words. That little action to me was magic. So that means that every night, Millie and you, like, were with that person. Yeah. Every night before they went to bed. I mean, that's incredible. That's yeah. so beautiful. You know, and and so simple. So simple. So yeah. people sort of think it has to be a grand gesture. It yeah. has to be. You know, no, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I think presence can be virtual presence as well. You know, people sort of think, oh, it has to be front and centre. You have to be arriving on the door. I mean, I had lots of lovely people arriving on the door with meals and, yeah. and lovely things of that, which were good, practical help. Fantastic. You know, I wouldn't knock it at all. But I think social media, again, you know, fantastic presence. I mean, I, I came in contact with a wonderful lady in Portugal on holidays and holidays are hard. Mm. Holidays are really tough because holidays to me are when my girls should be together. Of course and enjoying themselves and you've then got an only child you know she not only she has no siblings and the whole is huge it's amplified and you try and 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 change the way you do things but I I remember reading an article you're drawn it's a bit like when you're pregnant everybody else looks pregnant you start (laughs) seeing pregnant people all over the place when you're bereaved your radar is up Mm -hmm. for anybody who's got a bereavement remotely akin to your own and I came across a lady in Portugal. There was an article written in one of the local free newspapers about how herself and her husband um, had lost their child in a drowning accident. Um, and I discovered they were only in a village, you know, about 20 minutes mm. from me. And I just made contact via Facebook. And I went and met this woman and we've been friends ever since. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and we just met and hugged and sobbed and chatted and lost our children in very different ways. Um, similar sort of ages, very different circumstances, but both traumatic and tragic and preventable. Um, but the, the the camaraderie is there. And I think that connection is there when you meet anybody who's been bereaved. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same circumstances. Mm. But when you're in the awful club, of course, um, yeah, you can you can recognize other members very easily, yeah. you know. They don't have to be crying, but you can, a, you, a, a yeah. look can sometimes be enough yeah. and it can be as reassuring as that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be physical, I think. Yeah. I think people should be reassured by that. Human touch is very important, but I think that you can you can be connected with people and stay in touch with them using the good that social media brings too. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us.
If you would like to come along to a hug group, you can call 01-513-4048 and leave a message on their monitored answering machine or email info at hugg.ie for more information. The groups are facilitated by people who have been bereaved by suicide, meet fortnightly, and are all free of charge. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.